Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, Henry. Hey, Tara. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. So thank you for taking time out of what has got to be a super busy season for Mobcraft to talk to me today. Yeah, you bet. So I started working with you, gosh, what is it, three, four years ago probably? Yeah, and it was, it was really funny. I, I had a meeting with um, Forrest uh, Woolworth this past week over in Madison, and it was at Madison Sourdough, and I think that's where we had our first meeting. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? Um, Yeah, Madison Sourdough is such a great business. Um, So yeah, so three, four years ago, um, I met you and you had been in business for a while. And um, at that point, and I think the really interesting thing for our listeners who are interested in business models and in food and beverage is um, your business model because it really is unique. Yeah, yeah. When when Andrew and I kind of sat down for the first time to figure out if we were going to go through with starting a brewery, we knew we had to be unique and different. Um, there were a lot of other breweries that were starting up around the same time, and you know we knew we had to have something that made Mobcraft special and stick out um, in comparison to the rest. So when we were really getting into figuring out what we could do, um, we remembered back a college class that we learned about this business model of crowdsourcing, uh, that you would go to the people and ask them what product they would want you to create. And uh, we saw some good success in, in that format with this other company that we did the case study on. Um, and so we were like, man, if we could start a brewery that was crowdsourced, that you know, leveraged the power of the people to come up with ideas for beers, that would be something that would be pretty unique and, and different than others. Right. So... Um, what was that case, by the way? What was the business? Yeah, it was uh, Threadless was the name of the company. Okay. And they, uh, they did T-shirts. So cool. There would be you know, certain graphic designers that would put up T-shirts, and once 400 people would buy them, then they'd do a limited production run. You know, that's all of that shirt that would ever exist. You know, no overhead of too many extra larges, not enough smalls, that kind of <laughs> stuff. So you know, we wanted to mimic a lot of those. You know, because we had to be lean. We were you know, two 22-year-olds at the time with you know, no money and no extra capital. So we really had to make sure that if we were making crazy beers, we had a customer base to buy them. Right, right. So how does that um, business model work for you? Yeah, it, it all starts out with an idea. And it can be something as simple as, I put salt on my grapefruit for breakfast, turn that into a beer. Or I want a bourbon barrel-aged beer with hazelnut, because I've never tried a bourbon barrel-aged beer with hazelnut. Um, and that idea is left off by anyone from around the U.S., um, on our website. We have a little vetting process on the back end that tracks each recipe's social popularity. So when you submit an idea, it gets linked with a unique URL. The more that gets shared around the internet, um, that ranks it higher in our, in our voting process. So the beers that have the most social shares every month, we put up for a vote. And this vote is where people get out their wallets and they say, I want my beer to win and I'm going to pledge you know, 25 bucks you get a four-pack of these beers, the beer with the most pre-orders is the ones that we end up brewing at the end of the month. So I didn't realize you were doing a pre-vetting process. So how many beers go up for voting every month? 
Yeah, uh, originally we weren't doing a pre-vote process Uh, um, mm -hmm. because we could kind of go through the ideas all on our own. Um, But we started getting, you know, 50, 60 beer ideas each month. And that was way too many to build out individual recipes for each one of the beers. Uh, So that's why we introduced that little bit of um, social vetting process on the front end. Right. That is so amazing that you get that many beer ideas submitted every month. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, there's a lot of beer fans out there and, you know, Somebody's going to come up with a concoction that's never existed before or starting to get a name for being able to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so they submit your, uh, their idea. Um, you put them up um, if, if you choose them. How many people um, are up there for voting? Uh, there's, there's eight beers that are up for a vote. Um, and then as far as, you know, number of human beings that vote, we usually get around five to 700 or so. Okay. And you have to, you have to pay to vote, right? Well, it's, uh, I would say, a pre-authorization. You know, so if the beer that you voted on doesn't actually win, um, there's no financial transaction that happens. I but, see. Uh, if it does, uh, then you got that four-pack on the way for once the beer is completed and it either gets shipped out to you via um, an online liquor store or it can get picked up either in Madison at the House of Brews or in Milwaukee at our tap room. Wow. So... Tell us about the logistics of this shipping beer thing, because yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I wish it was easier. Um, it's, it's pretty bizarre that, you know, e-commerce is something that we're all so familiar with, but then when it comes to alcohol, it's, you know, a very tedious and, and tough process. And even depending on the type of alcohol that it is, it changes. You know, for instance, really? in Wisconsin, you can, you can have a direct shipper's permit for wine. So if you're a winery and you make wine, you can put it in the mail to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, where that is strictly illegal in Wisconsin for beer, hmm. so we can't, you know, we can't mail any of our beer to people in Wisconsin because um, it's not allowed. Hmm. But the, uh, the so is we, it just different state by state all over the country? Yeah, yeah. After after prohibition, um, the federal government said state alcohol is is your guys' problem. You've got to figure out how you want to regulate it. So it it varies drastically. Um, to get a permit to make beer, for instance. Um, in Michigan, it's a thousand bucks. In Wisconsin, it's twenty bucks. In <laughs> Illinois, it's ninety. You know, there's no rhyme or reason to how it's all set up. Um, well, it's definitely difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to um, the having the role of pushing the envelope with your business model, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I yeah. mean, if, if it was easy, everybody else would be doing it. You right. Know, that's why? Still to this date, we don't really have any any imitators mm-hmm. who are doing the same thing as us. There are a couple of breweries who have full-on aspects of it, which is awesome and flattering, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. nothing that's been on the same level of, you know, monthly beers getting shipped out. Right, right. So um, when I first met you, you were in the process of pursuing uh, crowdfunding, and that was such mm-hmm. a logical thing for you given given this whole crowdsource business model you had yeah. or have. Yeah, it was. Um, so at the time we were looking at that, there wasn't a federal, um, the JOBS Act hadn't passed through in such a way to set up um, crowdfunding nationwide. So what states started to do was introduce their own um, legislation for an exemption that if you were, uh, you know, I think there were 12 or so states that you could do crowdfunding, but within your state. Uh, so we were the first company in Wisconsin to use this uh, crowdfunding exemption. And um, it was just as difficult as raising any money 
or finding any money from the banks. I mean, there was nothing about it that was easy and a breeze. Hmm. Um, hmm. You know, In you fact, it might have been harder. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of it, I, I think, was just kind of the process and it being new. Um, so, like, initially, um, the, the setup of the whole process was difficult. You know, mm-hmm. banks didn't quite know how to interact with it because nobody had done it before. So it was, you know, a snail's pace process to even start the campaign. Right. Um, and then after that, you know, there were some, some verbiage things and some requirements that didn't end up being requirements. Like one, um, when you were checking out the deal, um, the state said you have to, we had to uh, capture people's social security numbers. And that wasn't actually true. And we saw just this huge fall off on the websites of people who would get to the page where you enter in your social security number and be like, yeah, I'm not entering my social security Right. On somebody. You know, sketchy website that I've never heard of before. Right. So. I mean, once that got removed, uh, more people were looking at the deal, uh, but we, we definitely didn't reach our goal at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still a good bridge, um, bit of financing to get us from, you know, complete bootstrapping our own cash, pulling out of our pockets to, um, you know, showing some banks that we could go out and raise a little bit of money to mm-hmm. getting a little bit bigger loan from the bank, and then eventually the one that we ended up with, that mm-hmm. we both agree with. Right. So... Um just to be clear for our listeners, um, that crowdfunding um, platform that you used was not a Kickstarter thing. It was a, a, a real equity um, platform, correct? Correct. Yeah. Correct. It was a yeah, equity-based crowdfunding. Um, I think how we screwed it up a little bit is we still – we looked at it as kind of both. So in the whole deal, like people got beer perks and they got equity in the company. Mm. But then that really kind of screwed up what our valuation looked like because, you know, we were lumping both – goods and equity into the same purchase price mm-hmm. from the end consumer, where, mm-hmm. you know, looking back at it, it's like, well, probably should have just done one or the other. Right, right. Well, well, again, welcome to, you know, being a trailblazer, right? So, um, so okay, so you raised some money, not as much as you wanted or needed, and at that point, you were, you were using another, um, another brewery's facility, right, for brewing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the story goes that, you know, Andrew and I went to the bank right out of college you know, for a million bucks to build a brewery, and it was originally going to be over in, in Baraboo. Um, and obviously the bank said no. I mean, we had zero collateral, and I think him and his brother joint-owned a car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Isn't that it? So, thing to take a lead on. But, uh, I, I love <laughs> it. So, you know, because I think, I think that story of you going to the bank is so typical, right? People don't really understand what a bank needs, right, and needs to see. And, and we're, mm-hmm. then people go to the bank before they're ready, and then they think, oh, the banks hate me. I hate banks. It's their fault, Right. And now looking back, it's got you got a real for you. It's got to be funny to look back and think about how ill prepared you were to go to a bank <laughs> at that point. Yep, yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what kind of bank is going to loan two schmucks a million dollars? You know, with two on, kids, on hopes and dreams, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Crazy. Okay, so you raised some money. Um, you've been making beer now at a co-packing facility, and all along you wanted to have your own brewery, right? Sounds like yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. You know that was that was the main goal. I mean, there are there are great pros and cons to doing co-packing. Obviously, mm-hmm. when you can fit to a production schedule, it makes a lot more sense. But you know, when we're making beers that this month is going to take three weeks, this month it's going to take you know six months to mm-hmm. get completed. You know, we our timeline was so fickle that there was really hard to put that in a in a co-packing facility that you know you have to rely on production schedules. Right. And the other part that's got to be hard is people send in wacky ideas, right, that have weird ingredients. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we did a beer with durian once. Really? <laughs> yeah. It actually turned out pretty awesome. Um, Andrew, you know, he's the microbiologist. He understands all the you know chemistry behind flavors and molecules and whatnot that are above my head. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're talking about durian and how it thinks because of sulfur compounds. So he you know, brought it up to 160 degrees and all the sulfur volatilized off and they left behind with this tropical mango custard flavor of the durian. And it was actually quite pleasant. Wow. So what are you, what's your beer this month? Uh, let's see. The next one to come out is going to be the Wake Up IPA, and it's a coffee IPA. Mm. Um, that one was submitted by a, a Madison home brewer, and it was his third victory. So he's the first guy to get a mob draft hat trick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So do, do, does he get something <laughs> special as a result? Yeah, we're, we're working on some, some fun stuff for him. So. <laughs> and you guys, do you do parties or something to celebrate with these folks when they win? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, my favorite example, we had a, a winner from around come from Washington, D.C. We flew her out to come brew the batch of beer with us. Oh, and, fun. You know, it's just a blast. You know, stayed in a hotel down in Milwaukee, came and brewed. She brought some beer from D.C. We got to drink that. Um, and then uh, eventually, once we released the beer, uh, we flew Nick out to Washington, D.C., and he held a release party at her, her favorite bar out in D.C. Oh, what a hoot. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's. It's like taking your customer to this, to this next level. You know, everybody becomes a friend, you know, that have gone rounds and, you know, shoot texts back and forth and make sure everything's still going all right with them. And, you know, you, it's a great community to interact with. Yeah, and, and it sounds like the size of the community keeps growing, too. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say, especially being in Wisconsin, um, we're, you know, probably the farthest behind on a lot of our, you know, entrepreneurial efforts and, breweries as well. I mean, you look at the, the beer competitions that are judged every year, and there aren't too many entries from Wisconsin and not too many winners. Um, so it's, there's, there's awesome potential for beer and innovation in our, in our state, but I just think a lot of it gets hampered for things like this, you know, can't direct ship beer and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, I think um, I was in uh, Minnesota last week and talking to somebody there, and they they have a similar problem in the sense that both states are big food companies, food and beer, beer us more than Minnesota um, com- um, states. You know, we have very old big companies in the state, and that in a way is, hinders our ability to innovate, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into the politics of things, but, um, you know, us as the Wisconsin Brewers Guild, you know, we're a group of, 90 or so breweries, you know, the opposition that doesn't want us to grow in certain directions, you know, is, is, is massive. You know, they have lots right. of dollars, they have lobbyists, they have lots of membership. Um, so it's kind of hard to just get on a level playing field and, you know, bring everybody to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if I had one, one wish to change how we operate, it would be for us all to, you know, because every part of the whole uh, distribution network has to work together. You know, mm-hmm. there have to be bars that sell beer to end consumers, there have to be the manufacturers, and there have to be distributors. So there's got to be one way that we could get together and make everybody's life a little bit easier and less hectic. Right. And, uh, been met with resistance. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, that's, um, it's an interesting thing, right? So it's a strength that becomes a weakness for us in the state if it's not um, leveraged in the way that it could be. hmm Yeah. Okay, so... Um, it got to the point where you really needed a brewery. So 
Um, so you started, this was about, this is really when you and I were working a lot together um, because mm-hmm. it's not cheap to build a brewery, right? No, no. Um, the stainless is shiny, pretty, and expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we were, we, were, we were at that point at, at the House of Brews where, you know, we were brewing multiple batches. We had, you know, grown within the facility by purchasing more fermentation tanks. And, yeah, we were really stepping on each other's toes, you know, not much room to fit more raw materials and all the kegs and all that jazz. So mm-hmm. we started looking for a place and, um, you know, at the same time, money to, to build that brewery. So we had a pretty good idea of what it was going to cost and what equipment we wanted to get, um, you know, because we spent three years brewing in somebody else's place and learned the good and bad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started looking for some institutional capital right off the bat and, you know, pitched all the the Angel Networks in, in Wisconsin and, you know, a couple places down in Chicago. And you know, that was a bunch of, you know, not really in my space. You know, I don't really, this isn't a you know, cool, cool company, cool concept, but not really our type of investment. Um, so then one day we, we ended up getting a call from our tank casting company that uh, read about our brewery on a Yahoo Foods article. And they were like, we think you should apply for Shark Tank. What a hoot! I didn't know they, I didn't know they reached out to you. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. I mean, I think I was selling beer at like Drakenberg Cigar Bar when they called. I like <laughs> ran outside to take this call, and you know, it was just so funny. I remember like, excuse me, that, that I and Madison just back and forth, you know, listening to Shark Tank casting company. <laughs> what a hoot! Yeah, excuse me, I gotta go talk to Shark Tank. <laughs> Yep. So yeah, what was so, I mean, that process was, was really like? Fun. It was just really cool um, and, and just bizarre. You know, so from, the, from the first step of it, you know, I knew there was a potential of getting investment. We were actively seeking capital. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also knew that it was a TV show. And you know, there's certain parameters that a TV show is going to try and do. Obviously, it's entertainment. Um, so I kind of took everything with a grain of salt that, you know, hey, if this happens, cool. If it doesn't happen, you know, no worries. Um, but so we, we went through our, the application process, you know, the paper application, then like a video interview-based application. And then um, and, and it was always left off at, great, thanks for all the information. We'll, you know, we'll call you if we, if we want to move to the next level. And uh, the next level in that process was a call that was, hey, we got two weekends open in June and two weekends open in August. Um, we, we're, you know, we'll fly you out to come to the to film, which one of the two weekends can you go to? And this is like at the beginning of, you know, beginning of the month. The beginning like of August, yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, ended up flying out to, to California and filming the whole episode out there. Um, we didn't end up taking a deal from the Sharks, but, you know, that's perfectly fine by me. They kind of wanted us to switch up the business model and um, not build a manufacturing facility of our own. Um, and we definitely knew that that was core to our, to our business, that we needed to have a home and a, a personality behind the brand. Right. So there are so many lessons in what you just said. So, um, the, the, well, the first the first thing is that my my impression from working m- m- with food companies predominantly, but some breweries, um, is that investors around the country love this idea of not having infrastructure because it makes them feel like they're more nimble and they can reinvest in the brand. And the problem mm-hmm. I see with that is is exactly, you know, some variation of your problem and that 
you re- if you don't control your own manufacturing, you can't do the kinds of things that you do, right? But, I mean, mm-hmm. it's amazing to me you manage to brew a different beer every month in a co-packing facility, period, without, you know, without completely driving everybody crazy. Well, we were close. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that does not surprise me, right? So there's this there's this presumption that that actually manufacturing something is bad, and it it's kind of not not an accurate presumption, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, then, and even even above and beyond that, the the benefits of having this facility are you know yes, controlling your quality and your timeline, but the learning that goes into it. You know, there's there's so many things that we've been able to implement here that we never would have even thought of implementing before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as different quality tests, different, you know, pieces of equipment that we need to make sure beer is, is coming out awesome, things that we didn't even know existed. And then on top of that, you know, we can bring people into the place. I right. Mean, I, we probably have, you know, bar owners or restaurant owners or, you know, store, um, you know, liquor store, grocery store, buyers coming in weekly. Right. Just to, you know, give a quick tour, sample some beers, check out what's going on. So, I mean, it's, it's a piece of advertising for, for, you know, selling our beer as well. Right. Never mind you get to have the cash flow of a tap room. Yeah, that, that kind of helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a, that's definitely a beautiful, you know, part of, of, of owning a, a, a craft brewery. Um, you know, it's like it's, it's one of the things that the law is lets you have and mm-hmm. um, you know from our perspective most breweries have built their businesses around knowing that that's going to be a substantial chunk of their income right right it's it's income and it's also cash right so it's fast income yep yeah so okay so you're headed toward this brewery and um i if i remember correctly it was sort of like around two million bucks or something something along those lines right Yep, just a little over, yeah. Yeah, and that, I don't think people realize how much it costs to do a brewery. I mean, maybe people do by the time they're into it, but, yeah, it's not a cheap thing. So, um, No, definitely so, not. I mean, and the infrastructure is, is expensive. You know, it's half the equipment, but then half the infrastructure. We turned a, a pretty empty warehouse into a you know, pretty nice facility. So right. That was a big chunk of it as well. Right, of course. And, you know, by the time you went to Shark Tank, you had figured out um, how much equity and how much debt you needed in your capitalization, right? Because um, when there's all that equipment, you can use, there's a lot of collateral, so you can use debt to finance yep. something like that. Yeah, so when, by the, when you went to Shark Tank, you knew how much equity you needed, right? It wasn't just like, hey, give me $2 million. Yeah, yeah, correct. I mean, we were, we were, I think we pitched them for either 400 or 500K. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a huge dollar amount, but... Um, yeah, uh, but truly... We really equity out of the, out of the build-out that we would have needed. Yeah, and that was about the, the amount that you needed, right? So that's the other lesson in, in I think, that um, comes out of your story is that you were really prepared by the time you went to Shark Tank, right? It wasn't, it was, you weren't just winging it. Cause I do think people just pull a number out of their air sometimes and say, well, I need $2 million. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think those people might be better off because uh, <laughs> they uh, can always ask for a ton, ton more because you're always going to need it. <laughs> right. I, it is a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's like that. Most of the time, though, when I watch people who, who manage to raise a whole bunch of money and they don't actually know what they are going to spend it on, those those deals tend to go south pretty fast for the investors. Yeah, I mean, and then you you just you, you're spending money to spend money because you right. think you're going to, which right. you know, a, a part that I look back at it when we, you know, when when something breaks, we fix it. You know, mm-hmm. when when we, you know, we tap room furniture breaks. You know, okay, we have bourbon barrels and we have you know wire spools, so we can make tables out of those. So we don't need to spend ten thousand dollars on furniture because right. You know, it's not a smart way to be spending money. Um, so I mean, some aspect of it, I, I do appreciate the you know the amounts that we've raised. You know, looking at it other times, it could have totally been, you know, 25% more. Mm-hmm, but, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think most entrepreneurs will say that it they their one regret is they should have raised more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, one of the things I can say, having worked with you over time, is that you are, you always have a good handle and a good plan, right? And it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that it happens the way you think it would, you know, mm-hmm. um, but the fact that you have a plan means that you can manage to it. Yep. Yeah. And it isn't Very just good. winging it and you need two million bucks or whatever the number <laughs> is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you ended up um, uh, um, having um, uh, SBA 7A, I think, right? Yep. Yeah. So that... That I, we've talked about that on the show before. Um, that is a vehicle that guarantees a lender, so it makes it possible for a lender to come into a risky proposition like yours. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience to go through. I mean, I, definitely that wasn't easy as well. I think we talked to like five banks and four banks. We went all the way through kind of the final, you know and negotiating stages with. And um, at the end of the day, we did have two banks that both approved the loan, uh, but mm-hmm. we ended up going with uh, Summit Credit Union. Mm-hmm. So they've been really great to work with so far. Yeah. Yeah, it is an interesting thing. Uh, it is a gauntlet, right? And I encourage people who are seeking bank debt, another mistake people make is they just go and talk to one bank and you never know. We don't know. You know, we don't know what their portfolio is of existing mm-hmm. credits, right? So you don't know whether yep. you're going to fit or not. And um, so it's kind of a crapshoot in a way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So you have to talk to more than one. So you did that, um, secured the loan, and then you started building out this brewery. How did you find your location? Yeah, we were. We looked a lot in Madison, but we couldn't find much that was near our budget. Uh, we knew we needed to be close to human beings for the whole taproom aspect of things. Sure. Um, so uh, the closest we could find was kind of out by Costco and, and Kiva on the west side of Madison. And, you know, we, we decided that we wanted to be in a, a little more of a, you know, hip and trendy type of a neighborhood. Um, so we decided to come look over in Milwaukee. And um, it was through a friend of a friend that knew a developer that, you know, knew of a couple places that were up for rent, so she drove us around for a day and just kind of pointed out the buildings that I'll connect you to the landlord if you're in any of our of interest. Um, so this building that we're in right now is on 5th and Virginia in Walker's Point, which is just south of downtown Milwaukee, kind of by the Harley Museum and the Iron Horse Hotel. And then one of our other neighbors is Great Lakes Distillery, so that definitely makes for a fun afternoon. 
<laughs> right. Um, but we, we walked into this building, and, you know, it's sitting on a nice roundabout. It's right on the corner. Um, it was a, a parking garage at the time um, that a local hotel was using, using it for their valet and um, employee parking. And uh, um, we asked, you know, talked to the landlord and started negotiating to see if we could turn it into this brewery. And um, it, that was probably December of 14 that we were chatting with him for the first time. Um, and it took until November of 15 for us to get all the financing up and together and uh, the project to actually start. Sure. So that was a lot of build out if that thing was using, they were using it as a parking garage. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. It had a uh, cinder block wall mm-hmm. and this old weird book tile roof that they did for like five years in the 40s. And oh boy. Horrible construction. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah. yeah. We ended up ripping off the, the roof and uh, there were no walls inside. There was, a, I think, a a one-inch water main coming into the building, mm. which doesn't quite work for, for brewing capacity. So we ended up uh, bringing a six-inch lateral over from the, the water main. But yeah, there was definitely a lot of infrastructure. Oh, my into, goodness. Uh, went into the building. Yeah. And um, I mean, fortunately, we had a really, or we have a, uh, a landlord that was pretty proactive to improve the building. So he did some landlord improvements, and we did some tenant improvements. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's that issue of, you know, who pays for what improvements is definitely part, a big part of what makes or breaks a location. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. And I mean, it helps with the loan as well, because it was part of the project. So it was part of the equity into the, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So the bank looked at the, the landlord's improvements as, you know, basic investment in the project. And mm-hmm. how we were able to pull that into some of the equity as well. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it, it, as it turned out, um, you raised money. So you were raising. You're so creative about how you raise your equity. Um, so part of it was um, cash that came in because of how you timed the sales of your distribution rights, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah, that was a bit. Um, we had saved up a bit just from you know by the time we were at House of Brews, we were definitely at capacity there. So we were we were cash flow positive and we were able to save a little bit mm-hmm. um, and then the, the landlord helping out with the financing and, and the bank yeah fantastic yeah and then at the you have do you have um statewide distribution now for for uh, wholesale right now we, we have uh four distribution company or three distribution companies in wisconsin that bring us um the central wisconsin is one that's basically Stevens Point, Wausau, up to Merrill, and then mm-hmm. 11 counties in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one up in Green Bay that does Green Bay and Door, and going up north and a little bit farther west. And then our, our biggest wholesaler um, spans from basically Platteville up to the Fox Cities, mm. uh, or the Fox Valley. Right. So, yeah, the majority of the state minus the, the far west and the far northwest. Okay. Fantastic. And do you have any distributors outside of the state yet? Uh, we do. We're working with one in uh, Michigan. Um, we do a little stealth distribution in Illinois, so we truck the beer down there ourselves. And then uh, there's a pretty innovative um, online liquor store out in Washington called Pavor that does uh, um, monthly beer shipments to their fan base. So we sell a lot of our more unique beers um, through their model. Hmm. Interesting. And apparently they can do that in Washington State. Yeah, Washington um, State allows for both breweries and um, liquor stores to have shipping permits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of bizarre. There are there are a lot of states that allow shipments in, 
Um, so if you're in a state that allows you to ship out, you can ship into them. Right, then right. Very, you can ship wine, can't ship beer. And then some, <laughs> like the state of Wisconsin, doesn't allow anyone, a retailer or um, brewery, to put any beer in the mail. Right. And it's kind of bizarre that, you know, you'd think, is it a question of taxation? Well, you know, I can pay my taxes because I, I know how much beer is leaving. Right. Is it a question of underagers getting it? Like, no, FedEx has age-verified shipments, you pay them a couple extra bucks and they check your ID at the door. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things that's the law in the books and until enough people want it to get changed or mm-hmm. enough uh, financial interest goes into it, <laughs> right? that's what it's going to be. Right. Well, and, you know, I think I think half the time people don't even know that these laws are, are on the books, right? Average consumer yeah. has no idea. Yeah, I mean, and I've, how would you, you know? It, it right. It took me the better part of Thanksgiving break to read through all the state statutes that have to pertain to <laughs> alcohol. I think I only got two-thirds of the way done. So. Right, right, and your head hurt a lot. Yeah, yeah. 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 because of the old-fashioned either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you host events and things at your tap room, too. Yeah, we do, both the tap room and the brewery. Um, so the brewery we, we built, you know, to be our home for the long term, so we've got some space in the back that we can... Um, people. Uh, we actually had my uh, re- or my uh, wedding reception back there in the back of the brewery. It's just, you know, about 190 people back there. That's so cool. Um, just last night, we had a, the Milwaukee chapter of Girls Pint Out, mm-hmm. uh, Women Enjoying Beer Group. They had their Christmas party back in the brewery. Um, so yeah, we, we rented out for you know corporate parties or um, we host a lot of charity events. Um, we did a, a big Movember party uh, for men's health this November. Cool. That was a blast and had you know, all sorts of fun silent auctions. I actually live auctioned off shaving my beard. Oh no. <laughs> Did yeah, I hope I hope somebody <laughs> paid a lot of money for that. <laughs> oh yeah, money money was paid for it. It was pretty fun. That's a hoot. That is terrific. And do you have food? I mean that one of the things that um that I tell people in the beer business around here is in Wisconsin somehow you gotta be able to have food in a tap room. Yeah, I mean, it is really important to do, and I wish I wish our laws were, you know... Made it easier. That, you know, like, and you go out to Portland, and one of my favorite breweries out there called Base Camp, they have two food trucks that are permanently parked in their parking lot. Right. You know, there's menus outside. You get another local business that's, you know, doing well off of it. Um, so, unfortunately, we don't have any 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 food. Uh, we do some, you know, small snack type stuff, so people can at least munch on something. Mm-hmm. Um, go through a lot of Milwaukee pretzel, pretzel company pretzels. Perfect. <laughs> so that's pretty fun. Um, but then we're, we're in an awesome neighborhood that has so many restaurants. Um, you can, you know, walk right next door and there's the taco place you can bring food in. Right. And all of Second Street, you know, just three blocks down is kind of like restaurant row. So, I mean, so you let, do you let. The is existing with your, your neighbors and, you know, you don't want them thinking you're taking all of their business and yeah but uh, so do you let people bring food in then from one of your neighboring businesses yep yep and then we have the you know the order your food in and get it delivered here type perfect yeah i mean in wisconsin we're the land of all you can eat um so um, just having a solution seems to be enough, right? I have another brewery client who has a relationship with a restaurant that is a couple doors down, and that works really well. Mm-hmm. Getting creative yeah. about it, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and a lot of it on our end, too, is, like, I, I'm not a restaurateur. I, I mean, I would be scared to, to run a restaurant here. You know, mm-hmm. if I could partner up with somebody, you know, like we have the space in the brewery that 
Um, there have been multiple occasions, like uh, the first one, Sal's, uh, Sal's first tomato pies over in Madison is going to open up a, a pizzeria inside the brewery. Right. So we could co-locate and you know, mm-hmm. co-brand the space. Uh, but since they own a liquor license, I could never give them something of value. And me, oh, the opportunity right. to generate business was something of value for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Even though they're paying me rent and whatnot. Right, right. So, I mean, it's, it's things like that that I think are, you know, hey, man, you want a, a business to grow and thrive and continue to employ more people. You know, little laws like that are ones that really get in the way. Right, not helpful. Yeah. So what's in the future for Mobcraft? Yeah, um, we're just about to um, jump back on raising a little bit more capital. Um, mm. We kind of decided that we want to go forth and, um, expand the e-commerce side of the business quite a bit, as well as um, open up more retail locations, so to have more physical tap room. Mm. So I'm kind of starting to do some scouting on different states uh, that could potentially be, you know, part shipping hub, mm-hmm. where I can do a plant transfer from here to there for, you know, beers to get shipped out. Um, and then as we, you know, go around and find other places to put more retail fronts, um, you know, we could brew the majority of the beer here at our at our mothership and then have um, you know, a small brew system there that we could do, you know, more of the community-focused beers mm-hmm. um, like we do here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so can interplant transfer, so if you say, I'm just going to randomly pick a state, so if you were in uh, Kentucky, can you have a plant, a Mobcraft plant in Kentucky, and just ship beer to the other plant? Yep. Got it. And then yep, you can so that's use the, that's the plan. Um, I'm not sure yet, state by state, on the ones that are, you know, what the exact. Um, I mean, th- there might be some states that don't allow that, right? But you look at you know some of the bigger breweries like you know Budweiser or Miller that have plants all over the the U.S. Mm-hmm. Some of the beer that gets shipped back and forth from from here and there. Right. It, it's within one company. It makes sense, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's crazy. Yeah, so I mean, it, it should be pretty pretty exciting. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's part taking like you know what we want to do with the company and you know the the founders behind it, what what roles we want to play, and of you know, I love being able to, to to travel and experience new places. So it kind of you know fit hand in hand there. If I can, I mean, I'm almost like a not like a franchise, but kind of you know we've mm-hmm. developed how the tap room works here and know, found the people, type of people that we need and the, you know, quantity of them. And mm-hmm. seems like we put together a f- good formula for how it should work and, you know, going out and replicating it in some other fun communities. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just speaks to our, our model as well, because at that point we get the opportunity to then, you know, continue the crowdsourcing on a national level. Right. And as we do here, you know, like with, with the Movember event, we, we brewed a Movember beer. Mm-hmm. You know, and did a fun collaboration with another brewery to bring that beer to life and, you know, you keep replicating that in different places. Um, could be a pretty good business. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the um, what kind of infrastructure do you need to have the online part of your business grow? Because I, I do think that, that there are a lot of businesses, food businesses, that want to do that, but they it's hard to it's hard to kind of sort out what you need to have in order to make that work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of ours is, um, you know, dollars that we're going to have to be putting into into advertising. Um, mm-hmm. We've done a pretty heavily bootstrapped and low marketing budget of everything, you know, to date. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a little bit more, um, you know, Facebook campaign heavy. There's a lot of great, really targeted advertising that you can do. 
uh, instead of just the you know shotgun approach to everyone. So mm-hmm. that'll be a big chunk of it. And then from the base development side of things, um, we just have to make the the UX of our site that much better. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go th- when you go through it, all the functionality works, but it's not quite pretty. It doesn't explain everything enough. Um, and then the the mechanisms that we have are not easy to adjust. So mm-hmm. like when we built things, you know, we built it that it was this price and these many bottles. You know, right. it's not just a little drop down that says, you know, now I want to sell bottles for five dollars cheaper. Right, right. You know, if we want to do any any variation on pricing, if we want to do any deals, you know, those things were not easy to do. They were all, you know, yep, we got to build out another part of the site to make it happen. Mm, yeah. Everything that we built was pretty custom. Um, a lot because the the sale of beer, a lot of the payment processors won't process um, age verified goods. Oh right. Like payment processors like Stripe, you know, we can't even use those. So right. we had to really go through and there's no shopping carts for selling beer. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, probably they haven't been developed because it's so difficult to do it. Yeah. And then the, the pre-authorization as well. You know, so mm-hmm. when somebody pre-orders a beer, it might be a year from now that it actually comes out. So, you know, that was a big a big portion as well where a lot of payment processors, you know, didn't want to hold a pre-authorization on a card for that period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a maximum of, you know, 29 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Very. And you have a huge database, you must by now, right, of people. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. about 17,000 people. Right. That's crazy. Good. Yeah. So that's another part. I mean, we're just so rich with data that um, I'm really excited to dig more into that and learn more of it and, you know, frankly, just use it. Mm-hmm. Um, we get so much beer preference data, so many people submitting ideas. You know, we can see where certain beer styles are trending versus in other areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be a whole other um it could be a whole other dimension to your business, right? Because other people yeah. would love to know that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And along the way, you got married. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this past summer, um, my lovely wife, Lisa. Uh-huh. Um, it's been a very fun time. You know, it's a whole other thing of, like, Andrew's kind of been, I've been married to Andrew for a while. Yeah. His partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Absolutely. You know, a, a, a different type of relationship is very fun. Yeah, yeah, she's been around since before Mobcraft even started, so she's seen every aspect of it. We're definitely loving the married life. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I mean, anybody who can hang on through the ups and downs of this startup phase is, you know, a keeper, right? Yep, yep. We always joke that if it wasn't here, you know, it might not happen. But uh, at least <laughs> it's a fun business to be in that we can, you know, go out and enjoy ourselves when we're doing business-type things. Oh, yeah, a yeah. Lot of beer festivals and events and that kind of stuff with it. Of course. Later on today, I've actually got a meeting with our Milwaukee Craft Brewery League, which is 26 of the breweries in the Milwaukee area that we, you know, get together and do events and collaborate on beers and, and fun things like that. So it's definitely a, a great community to be in. Right. Keep up the great work, and um, uh, we'll be following you, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And thank you for all the help along the way. Of course. There'll be more. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Definitely. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.